Well, good morning. I want to start by introducing myself. Um, for those of you uh, that I've never met before, my name's Doug. I'm uh, the administrative pastor here at Verde Valley Christian Church, and I want to give you some handles to help you figure out which pastor is which. I'm, I'm always the guy that sits down to teach, okay? Andrew is the energizer bunny. Jim is full of noises and expressions when he teaches and is always making noises that most of the time scare me, uh, <laughs> making noise. And Doug Bridge, you cannot miss Doug Bridge because in the 20 years or so that I've served together with Doug, there's not a Sunday that goes by that he doesn't talk about kids. So there's a handle. He's, he's always talking about kids. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's because he's the... He's into that business, maybe. So anyway, that's just kind of a little bit of a handle to, to let you know who's who at Verde Valley Christian Church. And it really is a privilege uh, to share with you guys this morning. And I will tell you, and this isn't a disclaimer, I'll just share with you, I'm probably more nervous in sharing this morning than I've been for years and years and years. So, and I'll probably get emotional. So I just want to prep you for that. We are starting... Uh, we are starting the end of the reality series, and this three-week teaching session is going to be called the finale. And I've been tasked with sharing two of the things that are probably the most misunderstood and difficult things, not difficult and difficult, but difficult in understanding and grasp, talking about the Holy Spirit in the last days, okay? Wow. Wow so many different opinions and ideas and oddities in the way that people think about that. This first quote that we'll pull up on the screen is, the spirit-filled life is not a special deluxe edition of Christianity. It's part and parcel of the total plan of God for his people. God's spirit given to his people. The relationship with the Holy Spirit and us as his people, again, is often misunderstood. It's often confusing. And I know for me, way too many times, I associate my feelings with whether or not the Holy Spirit is working in my life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to present two things on who the Holy Spirit is. The first one is kind of didactic. The first one is, this is who the Holy Spirit is. And again, if I made a list of, of being unqualified to teach on something, it would probably be, this would probably be one of the top on the list, okay? But then I'm going to get also talk about who the Holy Spirit is to me, okay? Here's the first one, and I'm going to stay fairly close to my notes on this one. God's Word tells us the Holy Spirit is co-equal with God the Father and God the Son and is of the same essence, yet also is distinct from them. God's Word describes the Holy Spirit in personal terms, not as an impersonal force, it tells us that he teaches, he guides, he comforts, he intercedes, he possesses emotions, intellect, and can be sinned against and lied to. And scriptures also attest to the deity of the Holy Spirit. He is spoken of as God and is identified with the title of Jehovah, and he possesses all the attributes of deity such as omniscience, omnipresence, om omnipotence, and eternality. His works of creating, regenerating, and sanctifying demonstrate that he's equally associated with the Father and the Son. The Christian who is indwelt 
which is the very definition of being a Christian, who is indwelt by the Spirit, is indwelt by God, and additionally is the proof of our eternal security and guarantee of our eternity with him. Some have counted 32 names for the Holy Spirit that are used in God's word to demonstrate the role or the characteristic of his work in our lives. That's the didactic part. Now, here's my personal answer for who the Holy Spirit is. And this is beyond coincidence. 40 years ago today, February 5th, 1983, the Holy Spirit drew me to himself. On this very day, 40 years ago today, he opened my eyes to the truth of the gospel message. I was 28 years old, and I have no remembrance ever of hearing the name Jesus Christ. I, have no, I had no remembrance ever of hearing the gospel message. I was spiritually blind and dead in my sins. And that day, this very day, 40 years ago, the Holy Spirit took up residence in my heart. And over the past 40 years, he has been my comforter, He's been my counselor. He's been my teacher, my deliverer. He's brought truth and correction into my life when I've wandered away from God's will. I have resisted him, and I have no doubt grieved him in my times of disobedience. But he's been faithful to never leave me, to never forsake me. And perhaps for me, the most profound demonstration of who he was was seen during one of the most painful times of my life. I was on my face before him, seeking his will for the decision to unhook our 26-year-old son from life support. And at that time, I've never felt his presence, his peace, his comfort, and the clarity of his will more intensely than at that time. There was a sweetness of unity with my God. And that's something that I desire and have desired every day since. And I know one day that I will experience that again in its fullness when I see him face to face. That's who God's Holy Spirit is to me. So that's, that's how I relate all that first part that I read all this, the scripture, which the scripture describes the Holy Spirit very, very well. And the second part was my personal illustration and application of what that looked like in my life. So again, this three-part series called Reality, and this part, these three parts is called the finale. And we're going to look at this time frame in history, or his story, God's story, God's timetable for mankind and the world's redemption. And this also is the subject of confusion and debate of how these times are going to happen and what's going to happen. And many people, in my humble opinion, exert way too much energy on trying to figure out exactly how that's going to happen when it's clearly tells us in God's word that we don't know the day or the time, for instance, when Christ will return. So I can't waste a lot of my energy on trying to figure out when that day might come. So how is God's Holy Spirit working in these times? The last days. Well, let's do a little bit of definition. It's also called the church age, okay? Uh, it's also referred to as the days of grace. That's the here and now that we live in. That's where we're at 
in history. All of us are in this, in this time. We're between the already and the not yet. Okay, Christ has already come the first time, but he's yet to come the second time. So that's kind of where we are. These last days began, we can look back and see these last days began at the close of Christ's ministry on earth and the giving of the Holy Spirit that we read about in the book of Acts. That's when these days, these last days began. And they will continue, these days will continue until Christ's second coming. And the only thing that we can say with certainty about the close of these last days and when Christ will turn, I can say this with certainty. Tomorrow morning, it's going to be one day closer. And that's as certain as I can be about it. Okay? That's all I know is one day, uh, tomorrow it's going to be one day closer. So, again, that explains a little bit about that. Some Bible scholars break it up. There's all different kinds of ideas and thoughts about the time frames in history. Some Bible scholars say the, um, the Old Testament was the age of the Father and that the New Testament, the Gospels, was the age of the Son. And Pentecost, which was the giving of the Spirit, to the second coming of Christ was considered the age of the Spirit. That's how some people might break it up. And it kind of, when you look at it, it kind of makes sense. I've got a picture up in my office of someone. It's from, this picture's from the 20s or 30s, and it, it, it shows out the full illustration of from the beginning to the end, and it lays time frames and scriptural references all along. But that's just one man's idea. Those things can vary, and, and many have many, many different ideas about when those things will happen. All of those things said, though, those ages, it was all the triune God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, bringing forth his plan before the creation of times, and yet we see specific works for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit during those times, the way that they're manifested and the works that they do during those times. This is what 2 Timothy chapter 3 says about the last times. But understand this. In these last days, there will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power, avoid such people." That's a pretty good description of the world that we live in. And it was also a really good description of, of the times that the New Testament writers penned the New Testament by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay? They too thought that that, that day of Christ's return was imminent, okay? We too agree. I would agree that that time is imminent when you look at those kind of verses and say, yeah, that's kind of where we're at today. And we've been in this period since that time. And so again, it's been well stated and well described what those last times will look like. So in that, if you're an outline, we're going to jump into the outline. We talk, we're going to talk about the prophecy and the promise. The prophecy of, of not only of the last days, but the prophecy of, of these times and the coming of the Holy Spirit. And we see in, in both in the book of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, they prophesied some 600 years before the coming of the last days. And they spoke of the new covenant, a covenant that would be ratified by Jesus' birth, perfect life, sacrificial death, resurrection, ascension, and by God's Holy Spirit being given to indwell his people. 600 years before, they were talking about that day that was coming in the future. It tells us in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse, beginning at verse 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh 
and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall be my people, and I will be your God. And that speaks of a new covenant relationship that we, we just celebrated communion. The blood of Christ, Christ at, at that, that last supper talked about the new covenant in his blood. Okay? That's what these guys were talking about some 600 years before. We see Jesus, after his resurrection, spending 40 days or so with his disciples. And, and before he ascended to heaven, he left them with a promise. And this is what he says. He says, and while, and while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me for John the Baptist, or for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So prophecy and promise, 600 years, prophecy and promise. Some people say anywhere from his ascension to Pentecost was seven to 10 days, something in that neighborhood. It doesn't really matter. He gave that promise. It was an update to the promise, the long-awaited promise that would take uh, take place. So we see the Holy Spirit and we see the work of the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit uh, does in us and through us. And the first thing on your outline, it says he empowers for transformation. The Holy Spirit in us empowers us for transformation. When God's Spirit dwells in us or abides in us or resides in us, it gives us a new identity in Christ's nature. Okay? And it tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, in whom also having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, the guarantee of our eternal inheritance. And that's a great deal. One other thing that I forgot to tell you about knowing which pastor's which, I usually always tell a joke. So, so maybe I'll do that. I'll, maybe I'll do that now, even though this, because I need to lighten it up a bit because I realize I'm getting a little bit heavy with you. So if we think about the guarantee of our internal inheritance, well, that's a great deal. And it's far better than the three calls that I got this week about the extended guarantee on my car. And have you seen the bumper sticker? I'm going to get one of these bumper stickers so you don't think poorly of me when I drive by you. Would you pull that next thing up there? So if I drive by you, you have the opportunity to take a, uh, the extended warranty on your car. You should have taken advantage of it. So, okay. So that, that's, that's my joke for the day. So moving on. Um, with this new nature that God has given us, his spirit in us, we are empowered and transformed. And this transformation uh, in this new nature determines changes and brings forth changes in our conduct and our character. That's the, one of the purposes of the Holy Spirit, to bring that change about in our life. So this transformation, however, is, is interesting in that, in that it's already done, it is being done, and it will be finished at one time, okay? Uh, the big theological term is sanctification, which means we've been set apart for God's purposes so that we be, can become more Christ-like, Okay, that's been done. We've received the righteousness of Christ. We've been set apart, but we have, an, uh, we have a responsibility to work in concert with God's Spirit to move towards spiritual maturity. You know that thing that we say every now and then from wherever you are to? 
we have a responsibility in that to, to work with God's Holy Spirit and to cooperate and to yield and to surrender to God's Spirit in us so that we can move ever further in that transformation process so that we become more and more spiritually mature because as we become more and more spiritually mature, mature, we become more and more useful for the kingdom and contribute to God's kingdom. And and the Apostle Paul um, talks much about this process, I believe, when when he talks about the necessity of crucifying our flesh. He talks about reckoning the old man dead, the old nature dead, and putting on the new nature. He paints it like a garment. Take off the old and put on the new, okay? The new is in us, but we need to divest ourselves of the old nature also. It tells us in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself for me. So the crucifying the flesh is our part of the process to be transformed as we're moving, moving through that. Where we want, where we want to cooperate with the Holy Spirit, what happens is we move ever closer to having our position, positionally, we're righteous. And through this process, we can move, and our transformation, we can move ever closer so that our conduct and our character matches our new nature. And in in very simple terms, which it's the only thing I can relate to because I'm a pretty simple guy, is, is, okay, I'm a Christian, do I act like it? I'm a child of the king, am I acting like it? Not that me acting like it's going to make me any, any more of his child or make him love me anymore, but if I'm his child, I should look like I'm his child and act like I'm his child. And the beauty of that is God's spirit will continue to help us to take steps closer to where he wants us to be, and he's promised us that he will complete that good work that he began in us. A quote says, the Holy Spirit transforms his people and enables us to share his moral character and empowers us to fulfill his kingdom purposes. So the next section we're going to look at on the outline is the power and the purpose, okay? The Holy Spirit, number two on your outline, is he empowers us for witness. And this is really, really important to lay hold of. It tells in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The first, number one on your outline, is a prerequisite, and I, this is a word I can't say right, so bear with me, prerequisite for number two. That and asterisk, whatever that word, I can't, those two words, I can't remember. But number one is a prerequisite for number two, okay? Without transformation, without demonstrating the Christ-likeness, we have difficulty being a witness, okay? And so we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. We can't miss this. Transformed lives are not just for our own personally heavenly rewards and spiritual benefits, but I believe more importantly, it's for God's plan to reach a lost world and to populate heaven. That's why he, he uses us, and that's a scary thing. He's chosen to use his people to be the witness to the world of who he is. And again, another quote, a transformed life speaks loudly to a world searching for hope, love, fulfillment, and acceptance. That's what people want. They're looking for it in a lot of different ways and a lot of wrong ways, but that's what we're all looking for. Okay, we have that. 
we have God's spirit indwelling us and our transformed lives can speak loudly in that. When we read that Ezekiel passage, and I encourage you, on the, there are notes on the back of your outline there. Um, read some of that stuff on there. Those Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36 is a great passage. And that passage talks much about God transforming his people. And it tells us why in there. It says, because he wanted the nations around his people to see and know that he is Lord. And God wants you and me to live lives in a way that people around us would see that we have Jesus in us. Okay? And so we also see, that's a great, that's a great passage too. We also see in the, in the book of Acts, uh, right after Pentecost, and the, the disciples were and dwelt with the Spirit. And we see Peter going from a coward and a traitor. We see him going from that, that station of, of, of running away from his Lord and denying his Lord. He goes from there to being a bold evangelist, risking his very life to proclaim the gospel by the power of the Spirit that he'd been given. And it tells us that day that 3,000 people came into God's kingdom because of that message. Not because of Peter, but because of the Holy Spirit in him that had empowered him to be a witness. So those transformed lives are a result as God's Spirit, not only in Peter, but in us. And those transformed lives reflect the character and nature of God. And I have to give you one more example. And for me, perhaps the most powerful statement on a transformed life being a witness to the world is seen in in Jesus' last prayer that we see in John chapter 17, where we have a glimpse into, into the Son talking to the Father and, and praying for us and what that would look like. And this is what he says in John chapter 17, verse, start at verse 20. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's us if you sit here today as a believer. I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. And may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. His spirit is in us. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Twice it tells us in there that the world would know, that the world would know that we would be the witness. So God's spirit in us, bringing a unity. And don't confuse this. I'm not, this unity that Jesus is talking about doesn't mean that you and I have to agree with, with uh, a music style or a methodology or, or what kind of car you drive or who you vote for. That's not what this is talking about. This is talking about uh, a unity that, that is based around the person, the spirit, the words, the truth, and the commands of Jesus. That core unity of having that, in, that commonality and, and, and transforming us to, to demonstrate that Christ-like character. The New Testament describes it as when we do that, we're demonstrating the fruits of the spirit. You heard Randy mention that in his communion messages this morning, okay? The fruit of the spirit. Why? So that the world would believe. Not that you would be, be a wonderful guy or gal, but that the world would believe. They would see those things in you and they would believe. Every believer is called to demonstrate and be a walking, talking, tangible illustration of heaven and earth overlapping. The very God that created is taking up residence in us 
heaven and earth overlapping. A, a, a quote by N.T. Wright says, those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. Those two things coming together that the world would see that Jesus is Lord. So our calling, again, if you're here today and you've, you've uh, been saved by the blood of Christ, you're filled with Spirit, then you have a calling to demonstrate Christ in you, the hope of glory. It tells us, again, we're sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise. God's eternal Spirit is in us and is, and is a deposit of what's to come. And that deposit wasn't for our own personal savings account. It's to share and to invest in others. That's why he's put that deposit in us, to invest in others. And so in these last days, this time between the already and the not yet, we need to take heed to the last words that we see of Jesus when he says, there, go and make, therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And you might be here this morning saying, well, Doug, wait a minute, I'm not an evangelist. Well, guess what? I'm not either. Um, uh, sorry, that's not an excuse. There's many, many, many ways to share the love of God and to talk about God's spirit in us other than behind a pulpit or on a soapbox on the corner. There's so many ways that you can do that, expressing God's love to others and demonstrate that in so many ways. And so the last quote that I'll give you is uh, Henry Blackaby. He says, will God ever ask you to do something you were not able to do? The answer is yes, all the time. It must be that way for God's glory and kingdom. If we function according to our ability alone, we get the glory. If we function according to the power of the Spirit within us, God gets the glory. He wants to reveal himself to a watching world. So we have fulfilled prophecy. We have a fulfilled promise. We have the power in us. And we know God's heart on the purpose of what he wants from us. And that's to love him to serve him and to love others and to demonstrate to a lost and a hurting world who he is. And I'll finish with this. On the story I shared previously about my personal understanding of God's Holy Spirit, I'll finish by, by giving you my secret. And it's not a secret because I'm giving it to you. So <laughs> What I found is, and, and, I, and I'm, not, I'm not making a theological stance here, so don't throw a rock at me. I have people say, well, I'm, I'm waiting to be baptized in the Spirit, and I'm waiting, and my opinion, I don't want to offend anybody, but what are you waiting for? God's Word tells us He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. His Spirit's inside us, and the secret to have God working through you is by crucifying the flesh. And the reason that I had that experience that I long for every day, and I have it from time to time, of, of the sweetness of the unity of, of being right in God's presence is because I've divested of self. And it's self, it's Doug that prevents the Holy Spirit from doing all he wants to do in my life. Is that easy? Why do you think it's called crucifying the flesh? It's not easy, okay? But that's the truth, and that's the way that we have more of God and God's Spirit working in us is by crucifying our flesh, 
walking with him, listening to him, living a life of obedience to the best of our ability, and he'll do the rest. We just have to cooperate with him. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you, Father, that you've uh, invested in us your spirit, Father, and, and we, we confess today how much we need you. We need your strength. We need your encouragement. We need your leading and guiding, your truth, your correction, Father. So uh, we yield to that today, Father. We, we put our hearts before you and, and just ask, Lord, that you would have your way in our hearts and our lives, Father, that we truly would demonstrate to all around us uh, the love that you have shown to us. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.